Shabbat Shalom. My name is Noel. This is the next. <laughs> this is the unexpected cosmology. I couldn't even say this is TUC. And where am I right now? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it appears I'm in some sort of hotel room uh, off the I-10 outside of Jacksonville, close to where it meets the I-95. I am on my way home after spending uh, my annual three months out on the Gulf Coast of of Florida. And the way these this works, of course, is you know, we're driving our trailer home and we're coming up on Passover. We we pull over to sit Passover out. And we actually chose a really nice RV park where we were I was gonna do my presentation from tonight. And lo and behold, we pull up and they tell me that they have no internet there for four weeks, give or take. Like they're just it's not that the internet just broke down. It's like they have no internet. So I'm like, well, darn. So uh, look at my cell phone. I was going to uh, hotspot it off my cell phone, but my cell, we were out in the sticks out there and that wasn't working either. I hope I have good uh, transmission with you guys tonight. I'm working off the hotel. I'm at a, at a red roof in uh, down the highway and um, kind of hotel, <laughs> kind of hotel room I'm in right now. There's a hole in the wall over there. The door over here has no lock. The bolt, the, the bolt doesn't work. So uh, I'll be here for the next two or three hours, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. Someone could beat down that door. Those beds behind me, I'm definitely, I haven't seen any bugs, uh, but I'm definitely not trusting those for, you know, being bed bug free. That's the kind of place I'm in. Uh, so Shabbat Shalom, everybody. And I'm not complaining. This is great. I, I, I love traveling and um, you know, it, things don't always work out the way you intend. I can't wait to be home. And uh, y'all willing, Sunday, we're going to pull back up to our house on the East Coast outside of Charleston. Now, what do you have? What do we have before me here? This is a fundraiser I'm doing uh, for the Unexpected Cosmology. And you can see that I, I, pu I put this up on Tuesday. And here we are four days into it. And uh, I raised $4,000 of my $7,000 goal. I think that's really exciting. Uh, there was, somebody had um, actually put a couple hundred dollars on GoFundMe. So that it, it makes up to 4,000 there. Uh, I mean, sorry, on, um, on PayPal, this is GoFundMe here. And this probably came as a shock or a surprise to a lot of you this week. And so I, I, I'm going to talk about it really quickly before we get into our tour portions. Uh, some of you, if you're not watching this live, you know, if you're like, oh, I was talking about money, you know, just fast forward to when I talk about the tour portions. Uh, but this is kind of the new reality. So I started the Unexpected Cosmology. Actually, back then it was known as Our Way is the Highway. Uh, I started that back in, in January 2017. And that was all after much pressing on my heart by, by Yah. He wanted me to start a ministry. Back then, it was just a flat earth, you know, ministry. So we were in the middle of the flat earth movement, right? And um, uh, in the last several years, since January 2017, I've had the pleasure of doing this. This has worked into a full-time ministry where I'm actually, you know, putting out magazines every month and books and uh, have so you know have someone working at TUC full time and and just you know we have a community and I'm doing these Torah portions and I'm putting out presentations week after week after week. You guys have been here for this and you're putting up 70 page documents of new research every single week, right? And I've had the pleasure of doing this. It's brought me happiness, joy, purpose. I love it. But I've come upon the crossroads and I'm at the point where 
uh, I, either I can keep doing this or I can't. Um, and I'll be talking more about this in the, in the weeks to come. You can go back and watch the video. I think I did on Wednesday and I, I spent like an hour and a half just kind of talking about my history, pouring out my heart, showing what I'm about, what this ministry is about. Um, but this is kind of the, the make or break it moment because we're going down to a single income uh, household. Uh, Yah was like, you're doing this. And uh, it, we, we were hoping it would happen maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now, really a year from now. We thought we'd be ready to go. It's happening now. And this is what you have before you is the job interview. Okay. I'm, I'm standing here. I'm being interviewed by you. You decide whether or not you want me for the job, right? You have my resume. My resume is the last several years. You could look back through the records back to January, 2017. Actually, uh, I take that back, back to, there's probably uh, uh, July of 2015. It was my earlier, earliest post, but uh, you have all that. You can go back you can see what I talked about, uh, see what I promoted um, and decide, do you want me for the job? Do you want me to shepherd you? Do you want me to pastor you? Do you want me to, do you want this to be your congregation? I'm under no illusion that most people have several main uh, YouTube channels they go to, ministries they go to, they all, you know, that's all fine. But if you want to see, uh, you want to see this continue as a, uh, as a ministry, um, this, what I need to raise is $7,000 per month. And this can be easily done. Uh, that's, you can do the math on that. It really should be 8,000 a month. Um, I went a little low this month, but it should be 8,000 a month. Do the math on that times 12. And if you were to take my, my monthly viewers or my, I'm sorry, my weekly viewers on these tour portions. All right. Some weeks there's 800, sometimes a thousand, sometimes 550. Let's just say for sake of argument, 600. All right. If there are 600 households, I don't know how many people are in those households for those views, but let's say there's 600 individuals or households that um, to watch this Torah portions every single week. And you feel blessed by this. You feel nourished. You, you know, you've learned more about the Bible. You want to learn more. All, is this, all, that, all that this is going to take is $12 a month. $12 a month. That's it. 600 people. 12 uh 12 dollars a month make it 13 that'd be nice we can make it 15 but 12 dollars a month that let's let's break that down four uh tour portions per month on average if there's a fifth that's a bonus that is three dollars per week per household per hour that's a dollar fifty and that's not even including all like tonight i'm going to be talking about uh chess in the millennial kingdom afterwards i'm going to do a different video that doesn't include all those videos it doesn't include all the different presentations everything else i do that's it right there. So we'll be talking more about this in the future. Thank you, everybody who have donated, uh, those who have subscribed to Patreon. And once I get this initial fundraiser completed, uh, th this is just for the, to survive the month of February. Um, then I'm going to uh, look into getting a, a, a budget together for the rest of 2024. And I'll put that, I know that that's going to be, some of you are going to see that and go, wowzers, you know, like what is, you know, anything I give, like a dollar is going to be a drop in the bucket. No, no, no. Everything adds up. Everything counts. And um, this is where I'm asking the community for an outpouring of love. If you guys, I, I want to be here for decades to come. If you guys want me here to, uh, to minister to you, to, you know, 
go th go through these extra biblical books with you and you know all these things and uh, go through the torah and the bible and all the conspiratorial all the stuff we do if you want to continue that this is what needs to happen i love you guys i'm not going to talk about this all night I, I did it in eight minutes i said i would try to do this in 10 minutes i'm going to do uh this upcoming week either on a tuesday or wednesday I haven't decided which yet because I'm not home yet. I don't know really when I'm going to get home. I'm going to do a, a, a Q&A and a live Q&A. People can come in, ask me on YouTube. They can ask me any question about my life, about my intent, my, my heart. They can ask about uh, theology, where I want to take the ministry, uh, and so on and so forth. And we'll be open for that. Now, there's something I want to I wanna show you tonight. And that's not what what I want to show you. This is what I want to show you. Now, one of the things, because the unexpected cosmology is a, it's a very intellectual um, online magazine in ministry. I, I cover a lot of things that I think for some people they've told me or is, you know, it's a bit meaty and, and I get it because of that, we're, we're a little bit smaller of a ministry. There's others out there that if, if we're talking more generally spiritual milk issues, they would be much bigger. It would be a much bigger ministry. And so one of the, the, the things I started doing was these Torah portions. And the Torah portions is a great way to minister to people who are coming in through the conspiratorial realm and discovering things. And then the point of this is to show them the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is that Yahuwah is king of the earth and that he has this these laws that happens to be heaven's laws this is why the reason why he inherited the whole earth as the king of the earth because he perfectly kept the torah right uh, and he he died he resurrected as a result of his his perfectness his perfect sacrifice and uh, that you too i want i want people to know one of the the, the reasons that brings me joy in this is i want other people to know i want to give other people permission to be obedient because the fact is is that people grow up in the church and they are told over and over and over again that they are not worthy enough that their righteousness is filthy rags there's nothing they could do they are like a like a dog to the vomit you are a worthless moral human being the only hope you have is to point your finger at jesus and you know and believe in him and his sacrifice and therefore you're good to go and that's what, I know that for a fact because that's how I was raised. In all these different churches, they'd be, you know, do not try, just believe. But at the moment you try, then you're doing workspace salvation and you are endangered of hell. That's why you can't do the Torah. Don't look at, don't do the Torah because if you do, now you're workspace and that's what Satan wants. And it's just like, what? And I want to give people permission to go, no, 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 no. You can pursue righteousness. You can be set apart. You can be holy. You could look at our Mashiach, Yahusha, Jesus, if you want to call him that, and watch how he walked. And you, he walked as an example. And you too can do that. And it's written down in our Bibles. And it's the Torah. It's his instructions in righteous living. And watching people come to that realization, some people are repulsed by it. Some people look at it and go, I, I don't want anything to do with that. I am eating my bacon and I'm going to demonize anybody who tells me that this is sin, even though it says it's sin, I've got my license to sin, baby, right? You have those people, you know, they got their freedoms in Christ. They can, they can, you know, have their, they can have their bacon and something else with it. Uh, but then there's the other people who go, you mean I can do this? 
I'm a Gentile. You mean I can do this? This is for me? It's like, yes, this is for you. And to watch people get so excited about it. That's what brings me joy in, in this uh, more than anything else. Um, now, what I'm going to be putting out, you're looking at a preview here, is something that is going to be distributed through, I'm trying to find new ways uh, through the unexpected cosmology to make it a practical ministry for people of all different walks of life uh, or spirit, you know, spiritual steps, I should say. And this right here is called Torah Portion Study Guide. It's number three because it's obviously Leviticus. And um, I'll take you through this. What's great about this is we're, this will be a free download for, here's your Torah portions here. It's all sectioned out by Torah portions. This will be a free download for anybody who subscribes to the ministry, anybody. Now we'll sell this in book form too, but the great thing about the PDFs is that you can download this for your study groups, uh, for your family, your, yourself, or for groups. And that's what it's intended for. And um, next week, I hope to have uh, Exodus ready for you guys. I, I wish I was showing you Exodus now, but next week, I hope to have the downloads uh, are, are printable for everybody who subscribes next week. And why is half of this blank? Well, because I don't have Pamela's Paleo-Hebrew translation yet. When I get the when I get Leviticus, she's getting close to finishing it. We're going to insert this and publish this. So on the left, you're going to have a King James version side by side with the Paleo-Hebrew. Uh, but not only that, uh, now I, I made it uh, to, it's slow loading here. Uh, this is the first Torah portions for Leviticus. But then as soon as you get through that, then you have the Jonathan Targum, that would be the Aramaic, uh, Aramaic Targum with the Greek LXX. So this source, the study guide, you have the, for all your Torah portions, you're going to have the Masoretic, the Paleo, the Greek, and the Aramaic. How awesome is that? This is something I wanted my entire life. Uh, and so I decided since nobody else is going to make it, I'm going to make it. And, and so you go through this, you can compare all the scriptures, you can read them side by side. And of course, Pamela's translation is going to be side by side with the King James version. How epic is that? Uh, and then uh, uh, it just keeps going on here. Let me try. I'm, I'm still, I think, in the first Torah portion here. Um, all right. And then afterwards, you're going to have the further reading. So there's other Torah passages that line up with this. So this section in Leviticus, you can read Deuteronomy 25. You go through the prophets. Then we have, uh, this is, what is this? Of course, this is from the King James. Uh, this is for Samuel. And then we have the gospel, which would be, uh, this one here is Mark. All right. And uh, so anyways, and this is a pretty thick book. You can see 24 pages here for the first uh, tour portion. I'm excited to premiere this. We'll be putting this out. We'll be putting out all five of these. Uh, hopefully, in the well, obviously, we can't get to uh, numbers in Deuteronomy until those translations are finished. But we'll have Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus done here really, really soon. And uh, they'll be great uh, for everyone. So uh, just something to look forward to. And then there's a lot of other things we're working on as a ministry that we want to make this uh, original, uh, practical information for your spiritual growth. So uh, another reason to subscribe to this ministry and to support this ministry, I'm hoping. All right. So let's go ahead and get right into the Torah portions tonight. We are on week 17. I can't believe it. Um, where has the week's gone? Thank you, everyone who have made this a tradition and uh, in your household and watch this. And we're getting viewers every week. Originally, I thought I was going to start this and I was just going to watch week after week the numbers drop. But they've not only held steady, but they're getting stronger week by week. And so that's very encouraging to me. Uh, more people are discovering these. Now, there's one thing I wanted to cover before 
we uh, get into the Torah portions, and it's on conflict within a congregation. And uh, you know, of course, I just spoke to you about how I am. I, I am here. This is my job interview. Uh, hopefully, I'm not botching it. Um, and I'm asking you to to make the decision to either make me your ministry leader or not. And uh, and one of the ways is you know the outpouring of love of providing for my 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 family uh as i make this my full this has been my full-time job for years um you know as i continue this is my full-time job otherwise i can't do this either i have to either either this ministry is going to fold or it's going to expound in magnificent ways um now there's a lot of ways that this year i'm going to really be thinking through about making you know how do we make this an official congregation even though this is online you know what are the what are the steps we take scripturally uh you know with you know even elders and stuff like that but this right here is a quote from uh deuteronomy i'm not sorry not deuteronomy the didache um, chapter 15 and this is something i want to make clear to everybody it's something that i have lived by for years and um let me just read this and unfortunately I don't have the Didache book in front of me. I have a couple of them. They were better translations than this one. So I'm reading you something I got off the internet. I'm sorry, I, I've read better translations, but here's what it says. And reprove one another, not in anger, but in shalom, as you have it in the gospel. But to anyone that acts amiss amongst another, so this is saying within a specific congregation, anyone who comes in who's divisive, anyone who's coming in, anyone who is leavened, uh, let no one speak, nor let him hear anything from you until he repents. But your prayers and alms and all your deeds so do as you have it in the gospel of our Adonai. All right. So what generally, what, what happens, the unexpected cosmology, our discord community uh, has, you talk to the members there and they're, they're continually surprised that they'll go to other communities and they'll see a lot of discord, which is funny, we're on discord, right? The TUC discord. But they'll see a lot of division, a lot of leaven, a lot of bitterness, things like that. And they're going to, they come back and report to me, go like, wow, no, like it, there is like no other site we go to where we can share all these ideas and people aren't attacking us and attacking us and attacking us for it. Unfortunately, sometimes we have people come into the ranks and they, you know, they have a chip on their shoulder or they are uh, uh, contemptuous in court, contemptuous towards the community, uh, to the ministry itself. Um, and usually I let these things go longer than they should. And every so often we have to uh, kick people out of the group. Uh, either they have, we have, by that, I mean, we have to remove them from the group. As it says here, don't even let them speak until they repent. I have yet to ever remove someone from the group. I'm not saying this is going to be a first time and have them repent. They always have a martyrdom complex, meaning I've got the truth and you can't handle the truth. And I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, I'm entitled to give you the truth, however I want to give you the truth. And, you know, it, what a lot of people don't recognize is that it, the truth is secondary, believe it or not, you can disagree with this or not. The truth is secondary to how you present the truth. It really is. It, another way of saying this is that it doesn't matter what you say. 
as much as how you say it. Imagine if you uh, had a date, uh, speaking to the guys here, or to the women too, and you have a beautiful woman coming over or a very handsome lad, and, and you're going to cook them dinner. They're coming over to your house, you're cooking them dinner, and you're going to cook them up the finest. Like You're on a tight budget, but you go all out on this, and you cook them up a nice steak with a potato, potato and you know vegetables whatever but you know, whatever you put mushroom sauce whatever on there if if mushroom is kosher for you or not and this is the most amazing dinner ever but then you take a trash can lid and you put it on there and you offer it to them and they look at you and go like i'm not eating that right and then you get offended at it and this is a lot of the people who show up in communities and they're going to have this martyrdom complex of you know you're you're crucifying me i'm just giving you the truth and it's like no 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 one's crucifying you you're actually going around you're slandering people you're gossiping you're actually creating this tension and what, what we find is is that when we remove that person almost every single time on a dime another person sometimes as many 10 people will leave they'll just get up and leave with them and we're like, how we knew it. You were behind the scenes working against us. You were looking to divide, to, to open up the gates, let the sheep out. And once the sheep divide, they never come back. But that's the way it works. Uh, I, I've been around the block a few times. So anyways, this is something as a congregation that, you know, I take very important. Um, when, we come in, when we come in and have these conversations together, we can all disagree. It is totally okay. I don't expect you guys to agree with me on everything. That's totally fine. I really, it's like fine, cool. I mean, I changed my opinion on myself, on my own opinion. So it's like I, I don't expect people to agree with me because I don't always agree with me. Um, but um, we need to love each other. We need to respect each other, and um, and not cause division, so on and so forth. I spoke enough on that point. Uh, this is something I might want to make a whole video on in the future, uh, as we start looking more at, uh, at at strengthening the the community. All right. Last week we ended, uh, I'm showing you a, a, a petroglyph here of the Rephaim at Sinai. And I, uh, they look like these giants. So this is the actual Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia. And um, I'll, I'll tell you guys something. After I made that video with Polly last week, I get a guy, he calls me up. And uh, he's, he's a missionary out of the country. I won't say where, he's a missionary. And uh, he got in contact with one of my magazines. He, somebody showed him one of my magazines just randomly. I don't know who showed him a magazine. And he's like, I want to get in touch with this guy. He, he calls me up and he's like, uh, he's like, Noel, I'm a, I, can, I, I lead expedi expeditions to Mount Sinai. And uh, I'm getting a group of dudes together and we're going to go to Mount Sinai because the window's closing. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> sign me up. Fortunately, with the budget now we're looking at, it's probably not going to work out for me to go. Uh, but I would love, love, love to go to Mount Sinai and just and just see myself, you know, the burnt rock on top of it or the split rock or the cave that Elijah went into or the, the, uh, the actual rock where they put the golden calf on and they put the petroglyph there of the golden, the golden calf. Um, and, you know, to go see the, the drawings they made of the Anakim, of, of the Rephaim that they destroyed uh, and shot down and just see all that evidence there uh, would just be amazing to behold. I don't, 
don't know if you hear that car alarm going out going off i'm in a pretty ghetto place right now nobody's beating down the door yet so let's get into this before someone does knock uh shamawath chapter 18 uh through 2023 and one <laughs> you guys are gonna love this i was preparing for the torah portions and uh and then i realized that i studied for next week and i was just like oh like on a like i couldn't like just hit my head and uh so next week should be awesome uh but then i had to go back and you know and and readjust this and study for tonight uh i'm gonna put this up because that's too funny uh stephanie says her boys would be uh so happy if mushrooms were not kosher now i i i believe that they are kosher um some of you disagree that's fine i I would give up mushrooms an instance. Uh, this has nothing to do with my love for it, but I love mushrooms. I absolutely love mushrooms. So, all right, let's start reading. And uh, this is uh, Jethro, uh, by the way, and Yathurawa, uh, priest of Midian, and that'd be Jethro, Meshaha's father-in-law, heard and responded to all that which Allahayam had worked for Meshaha and for his people, Yasharel. And what a wonder he did. I mean. He, so keep in mind in Midian now, in Midian, he's he's hearing he, he people are sending him reports of the darkness, the frogs, the blood, the the hail, the the, the firstborns killed, and then the army getting wiped out in the Red Sea. And this is this news is spreading everywhere. For he had brought forth Yashro from Mitzrayim, uh, Moshe did. Uh, Jethro, I'm having a hard time pronouncing his name, Yathurawa, Meshaha's father-in-law, had taken in Zephara. Remember, that was Moshe's wife. She didn't circumcise one of her sons. Got, got Moshe into trouble. Covenant woman to Meshaha, following his sending her away in prosperity. And her two sons, of who the name of one is Garishon, for he said, I existed in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Al-Yazar for the Alahaya. I'm hearing sirens outside. So ghetto. For the Alahaya of my father has helped me and has snatched me from danger, from the sword of Pharaoh. And Yathurahwa, Meshaha's father-in-law, came and his sons and his covenant woman to Al-Meshaha in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of Ha-Alahayam. And he spoke to Al-Meshaha, I, your father-in-law, Yathura, you have come to you and your covenant woman and her two sons with her. And Mashaha went forth to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down, doing homage, and kissed him. That's some amazing respect that Moshe showed. I mean, Moshe is leading these people, right? And and his father-in-law could have come, and, and Moshe could have been like, what up? You know, like, look at my people here, right? But, like, yeah, the, the honor that he shows, and and uh, <laughs> I don't know how many son-in-laws bow down doing homage and kiss their father-in-law as they show up. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a humble dude. And they interrogated each man, his friend, of their shalalam, and he went into the tent, and he narrated to his father-in-law all that Yahuwah, the ever-living, had worked to Pharaoh and to the Mitzrayim, all the labor, toil, and weariness that had happened to them on the path. And how Yahuwah, the ever-living, had snatched them from danger. And Yahuwah, uh, I'm not Yahuwah, and Yathurah, uh, Jethro, rejoiced over all the kindness 
which Yahuwah, the ever-living, had fashioned for Yasharel, who had snatched them from the hand of the Matrim. Now, before I sing his song, I think it's really interesting, uh, this relationship here between father and son. Now, he is a father-in-law. Um, I'm going to incite the movie uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You know, the, the plot line, obviously, of that movie, yeah, it's about the Holy Grail, but it's actually the Holy Grail is, you know, the, the generations really. It, the Holy Grail in this is actually the father, right? The father and son dynamic. And so in this, you know, you have this legendary character already in the 80s, you know, Indiana Jones, and who do they pick to have be his father? James Bond, right? Sean Connery comes in. And it, it's it's it, it's one of those things where like the father, the father looks at his son and he goes, yeah, that's great. You did all these things, but never forget that I did it first and I did it better, right? That That's kind of like the father-son dynamic there, right? The son can never really live up to the father, nor can, nor does the father-in-law necessarily ever show respect to the, the son-in-law. Like that's probably a very rare thing. Uh, and yet here we see a very different situation. In fact, it has been commented upon. Um, I, I've speculated a lot about the, being a, a priest of Midian and what that implies, especially being that Midian is descended from Kathira uh, and Abraham. That would be uh, Abraham's second wife after Sarah, after she died, Kathira, uh, according to the canonical wives, of course. And, and was this in any way associated? I mean, why do they keep stressing that he was a priest? Like, what, is, what does that matter, right? Like, priest of what? And it seems that the more we look into this, that it was a, he was a very much a Gentile type of priest. Like he was the one that initiated that Moshe not circumcise his son. And this got him in trouble, almost got him killed with Yahuwah, in which Zipporah had to go and take a rock and do the deed right there. Um, and uh, so we don't really know what kind of relationship uh, Jethro had with Yahuwah. However, at this moment, after hearing, he comes and hear, hears his reports, goes to his son-in-law, and then Moshe confirms everything. And, he, you know, I had just given you that scenario of the, the father going, you know, I did it first and I did it better, you know, to his son. But you don't you don't see that response here. Look at his response. And Yathurahwa saying, Baruch Yahuwaha who snatched you from the hand of Mitraim and from the hand of Pharaoh, who drew them out from under the hand of the Mitraim. Now I have acquired knowledge. Now I have acquired knowledge. For Yahuwah, the ever-living, is greater, more powerful than all other Allah Hayam. That's amazing. He's like declaring, like, whatever knowledge I have, what I had, now I have acquired knowledge. I know that your Elohim, your Allah Hayam, who you came and proclaims, right? You're, Moshe, you're the one that drew the staff. You're the one that took my eldest daughter. And now I see that you truly deserve her. You are truly a leader of these people because you serve. Whatever uh, Allah Hayam he serves, we don't really know. But he's saying that I have knowledge now that Yahuwah, the ever-living, is greater, more powerful than all the other Allah Hayam. And so here we have a confession from Jethro that there are other Allah Hayam on this earth. But he recognizes this one. You know, he he just destroyed all the, or maybe not destroyed, but he judged all the other Allah Hayam of Egypt, right? And he just, 
you know, he saw that whole thing with uh, Baal Zephon, the mount there, with crossing over the Red Sea, and how that flipped the whole narrative on the head of who Baal, Baal Zephon was and how he had control of the seas. And he just wrecked him, right? That's just incredible confession on his part. And so it seems that whatever whatever Jethro went through, it seems as though he embraced Yahuwah here and he, he converted. For by these events which have boiled over when he overwhelmed them. That had to be awkward going back to his, uh, I mean, if he's a priest, he's got people he's a priest over, right? Had to be a little awkward to go back to them and go, you know, guys, you know, this, this I investigated this Yahuwah guy and he's legit. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably had some angry people after that. I know how it works. Then Yathura, uh, Mashaha's father-in-law, don't you just love how he keeps letting you know he's his father-in-law in case you forgot already, took a burnt offering and a sacrificial offering for Allah Hayam and Aaron came and all the bearded ones of Yasharel and ate bread with the father-in-law of Mashaha to the face of Ha Allah Hayam. And that's... Um, that, not only incredible, um, showing incredible respect that Moshe is getting all the elders to give this guy the red carpet treatment. And, um, but you know, again, for Mashaha's father in law, Jethro, to go like, wow, like all these people answer to you, like this is incredible. Like, this is man, Moshe, you really became, you know, you made something of yourself. And he existed on the day after that Mashaha sat down to litigate. And the people endured, standing, remaining about Mashaha from daybreak until dusk. And Mashaha's father-in-law observed all that which he labored at for the people and said, what sort of purpose plan is this that you are laboring for the people? Why are you sitting apart and all the people enduring about you until dusk? And Mashaha replied to his father-in-law, for the people come frequently, beating the pathway to me to inquire of Allah Hayam. When there exists to them a matter, it comes to me, and I litigate the cause between a man and between his companion, because I have acquired knowledge of Ha'alahayam's um, ha established statutes and his Torah. Which is kind of interesting because uh, he hasn't been given the Torah yet on Mount Sinai. So interesting. So he has knowledge of it. Foolish, foolish, you will lose strength both you and the people which are with you for this debar the purpose plan is too way for you and you not and you not be able to endure if you work to yourself alone now you must hear and obey my voice i will give you counsel therefore allah Hayam will exist with you you will exist for the people in the presence of allah Hayam that you might bring words of each matter until ah um, to al ha allah Hayam. and you shall make them to shine teaching, admonishing, warning them regarding the established ordinances in Torah. And you shall point out to them the way wherein they shall walk. This is the way. And the work which they must, which they must fashion. And you must contemplate choosing from all the people, men who are upright with strength and ability, ones who reverently fear Allah Hayam, men of stability and integrity, haters of unjust gain, and establish over them chiefs of thousands and chiefs of hundreds and chiefs of fifties and chiefs of tens, and they shall litigate the people in all fitting opportunities. All greater matters they shall bring to you, small they shall govern. Thus, what rests upon you will be diminished, and they will bear it up with you. If you fashion this purpose plan 
And should Alahayam set it up, then you will be able to endure. And all these people can go to their place in Shalom or Shalom. Now, great advice, right? I mean, incredible advice. Sum this up. If you guys aren't picking up on this, he's he's like, he's seeing that Moshe is, uh, um, did I skip over the place where it says that, um, People were, you know, people were up with him from like nine to five, morning to night, you know, just, I think it said that they were like beating down a path. I think that's how Pamela phrased it. And I was amazed, I was imagining like Moshe, he's trying to put his tent amongst all the shrubbery, you know, and they're like, they're just breaking through the shrubbery and trying to, however they can, they're trying to get to him, uh, to ask him all these questions about just, you know, every, every little thing going on. I mean, can you imagine all the contention with people with their neighbors and he said, and she said, and he's trying to figure all this out. And uh, so his father had really good advice. He's like, look, just get these elders to, you know, you can be like the Supreme court, right. But you get all these local courts and all the people take the problems to them. And if it's, if it's too big of a matter for them, they bring it to you. And, uh, and Moshe's like, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good idea. And it says that Meshaha heard and responded to the voice of his father-in-law, and he labored to work all which he had said. And he proved skilled men from Yasharel, and he set them in place over the people, chiefs of thousands and chiefs of hundreds and chiefs of fifties and chiefs of tens. And they judged the people in all fitting opportunities. So you can see that there. So you would first go through the chief of 10, my assumption. And um, he, he would get, you know, all the little petty disputes, but maybe there was, um, you know, something bigger and it, to decide. And so it, it involved the chief of the fifties or the hundreds, right? And then you go up to the thousands, uh, you know, I'll, he would deal with most of it by that, by the time he got to him, but maybe Moshe, there's some stuff that, you know, he has to deal with where they're like, I, I don't know how this works with the tour of Moshe. Um, you know, you've spoke to Allah Hayam. Um, you know, how do we, how do we work? This? I mean, we saw these questions today. We still look at the tour and go, how does some of these apply to our own lives? That, that would be great questions for the judges of Israel. Uh, people in all fitting opportunities and the difficult matters they brought to Al-Mashaha and all the small they litigated themselves. And Mashaha sent away his father-in-law and he walked to his own Aratz. Now, I find that really fascinating there that he sent away his father-in-law. I don't know how I'm supposed to read that because I could read that um, – I almost think about like when it says in Acts that the apostles sent Paul away. And I'm not getting all anti-Paul on you, but it was clear in that context that Paul was super divisive and it was causing tension in Jerusalem and that they didn't want or need because uh, he was such a controversial figure and they sent him away. And so, yeah, I'm kind of curious about this. I was reading this this week going, hmm, I don't know how to address that. I mean, was Moshe, Moshe showed him great honor and uh, respect. And he in turn had good advice. That was very good advice. But I can't help but wonder, and I'm just using my imagination here. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I can't help but wonder if Mashah is like, I need to send him away before he, uh, maybe he's a little too controlling or overbearing or you know maybe he can't accept me as a leader maybe there's something going on there i don't really know i would be interested to see what more of the the sages have to say about this uh, incident and unfortunately i didn't get time to look at that this week maybe next year maybe for next year's torah portions and the third kadash of the sons of yashiro going forth from arats mitrim 
In this day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They had lifted up their encampment from Raphayadayam, or the Raphim, and had entered the wilderness of Sinai, or Sinai, and had settled down to dwell in the wilderness, and Yashua camped there in front of the mountain. So here we are at Mount Sinai. There are pictures. I, I, I was trying to hunt down specific pictures I saw in videos years ago from Ron Weiss Discovery, and I can't find them online. It's driving me crazy. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second here. Uh, I just wanted to read this quickly from Jubilees. For all of you out there who think I am snubbing Jubilees, I'm not. Um, maybe next year I'll have more on it, but this is kind of interesting here. We see, and he, Han, uh, Hanok, that would be Enoch, burnt the incense of the sanctuary, even sweet spices acceptable before Yahuwah on the mount. For Yahuwah has four places on the earth. That's really interesting. Four places on the earth. Now, I, I, I think by this time, by our time, he has inherited the earth. Uh, but at this time, it seemed that he had, you know, all these gods have their own mountains. And, uh, you know, uh, Zeus had Olympus. You know, you can go down the list, right? Uh, but Yahuwah had four places on the earth. He had the Garden of Eden. So right there, that's telling you that's, that's uh, well, it says places, but we know it's a mountain. Garden of Eden was a mountain. And the Mount of the East. And this mountain on which you are this day, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. So the Mount of the East, by the way, is uh, it's referring to Ararat. We know the mountains of Ararat, but the, the mountain that the Ark settled on was apparently really interesting. Yahuwah had it settled down on a mountain that belonged to him. It was his real estate. It's kind of interesting. And he says, the Mount Zion, which will be sanctified in the new creation for a sanctif sanctification of the earth. I find that really fascinating. Of course, you guys know that I believe Mount Zion is in the north, the north country, not in modern Israel. Uh, that might have been, you know, Mount Zion at one time, but Mount, however it happened, I don't know. I don't know if it lifted up. I don't know what happened, but I believe that Mount Zion is in the north. And uh, this is this is the holy mountain that's talked about, like with the lion and the lamb and, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's a place that we do not have on our modern maps. I'm not going into the moon map tonight, but I will show you this. I kind of think this is cool. This is uh, I just watched this movie the other night. Uh, it's a Studio Ghibli film, a Japanese anime film. Uh, it's called uh, uh, Castle in the Sky, and it's about a floating mountain. And this uh, th with this ancient tech that's considered a myth in the world and uh everyone's hunting for it you know like different governments and pirates and all these different people they all converge and you see this robot here uh, this little girl this little girl comes to learn that she is the bloodline of a princess of this uh this castle and of course it's, that's speaking about the uh, ultimately speaking about the the feminine divine that is you know supposedly lost in our culture today you have the patriarchy and then there's the, 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 there's like a void with the feminine divine. And I think what is, of course, there's a lot of undertones there to Mary Magdalene as well, uh, being the blood, you know, whatever. I don't need to go there tonight. That gets me in enough hot water bringing that up. But when you understand that the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, is the feminine divine, she is our mother. And I'm going to be talking more about that a little bit tonight again. Uh, there right there is your feminine divine. So yes, there is. Look, when you see the outbreak of the Holy Spirit in Acts, the tongues that come down. So you have you have now the masculine and the feminine coming together on this earth, right? So it has always been here. Our mother has always been here. 
And the, the, the Catholic Church, whoever did it, somebody stripped it away, made it three dudes in heaven, erased the feminine divine. It's a shame. And now you have all these, you know, feminist groups and new age groups and even witches are really into it. You know, the, the feminine divine, it's controlled opposition. And people say, oh, that can't be no, because you're like with one of them. No, I'm actually with the Bible. I'm with what the Bible says. And um, I'm rambling. That was a good ramble, but I'm going to talk more about that tonight. Here's a, you see me quote from this a lot, Mount Zion in the most remote regions, northward, city of the chief head, most powerful Malak king. This is from Pamela's paleo translation of, of Psalm 42. So it, it says there that, and also uh, the notes, I love showing her notes here, that she believes that it's a, the Zion is actually described as a uh, transportable ship. Um, that's so awesome. Like just so awesome, awesome, awesome that this idea that that this story here might actually be telling us about the lost civilization of Mount Zion, that it got up and left. Um, and that some of us may be of a bloodline uh, that descends from those people group, just like the princess. It's like it just in the public consciousness when they tell these stories. And Meshaha ascended into Al-Ha'alahayam and Yahuwah, the ever-living, called out from the mountain. So it seems to me like right here we see the uh, the father and son working together. I mean, that's what I'm reading. I'm seeing he ascended up to Ha'alahayam, and it's Yahuwah, the word, who actually calls out from the mountain. Uh, father and son hanging out together on the same mount to say, Thus you will say to the house of Yaakov and proclaim openly in the sight of the sons of Yasharel. Hold on here. i got to post this comment. Yep. <laughs> Would be just like the Jesuits to make a woman into a dude. I fully agree. And it's it's like it's been it's been tradition for so long now that when you try to have this conversation with Christians, like they, they're like, that can't be true because that makes the tradition itself wrong, right? How could so many people be wrong about it? Um, and um, I had one guy commenting recently and he said, the feminine Holy Spirit is nowhere to be found in my Bible. And I'm like, and I said, actually, it is. And the whole discussion, interesting enough, was they didn't like the language use that I was using these Hebrew words. And they're like, you know, nobody knows what those are. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's the problem. Maybe as stewards, uh, you know, as students of the truth that we have to dig into language because language has meaning. And, um, you know, and maybe it, they really did take a woman and a mother and make her a dude and that is a grave sin if that's what if that was purposely done and though people live in ignorance that's that's not a sin to be wrong um but you know there was clearly i think a a conspiracy to to destroy the family in heaven and as above so below they want to destroy the families on earth they want to destroy them in heaven right all right uh, where was I? I'll start with uh, his quote here. You have observed what I fashioned from Mitzrayim and how I bore you upon Griffin's wings and have brought you unto my power and authority. Pamela, I wanted to ask you today, what does that mean that I bore you upon Griffin's wings? I love that, by the way. Uh, when, when Pamela turned in her draft, I've said this a few times before. When Pamela turned in her draft for Bereshith for Genesis, I was reading it going, hmm, like, hope she, hopefully she doesn't find this uh, offensive. I, 
I don't mean this in any way, but I was like, hmm, this is really conservative. Like I, I was expecting something a little bit, you know, more, you know, because her Psalms were wild, you know. And she said, oh, when I get to Exodus, it's going to be, you know. And that, that's one of the big things with uh, when you're translating something, it's like, how do you decide how, you know, do you go with your gut instinct on what you think this word is saying, or do you go with just the norm because everyone else is saying it, right? So I'd be curious to hear uh, Pamela's thoughts. If Pamela, if you're here, if you want to put it in, I'll try to look here um, and see if you have any thoughts on this griffin, that they were born on the wings of a griffin. Because I think that's just awesome. Uh, let's see. If you, if now you will hear and obey, if you will hear and understand my voice, and you will guard my covenant, then you will exist to me as my own possession from all the peoples. So remember now, Yahuwah, who has he inherited? He has inherited Yasharel. So he is the Yasharel, you know, salvation comes through Yasharel. And of course, I can read to you where the, the Ruach HaKadosh says she is a mother is the mother over Yasharel. So she's saying that if you want her to be your mother, you're not going to be a mother through the Goyim. It's got to be through Yasharel. And of course, you have to understand the voice and obey the voice and guard the covenants. Then if you guard his covenants, you will exist to me as my own possession from all the peoples. That's a beautiful thought. Uh, it doesn't say here that you can not guard his commands and his covenants and go sin and do whatever you want because you have a life, you have grace and a license uh, to sin or whatever, freedoms in Christ. Uh, and uh, you just have to point at Jesus and you're good to go. He doesn't say that. Nowhere in here does he say that. That's, you know, people say, you know, when they hear me talk, they're like, oh, that's not in my Bible. My Bible says grace. I, <laughs> this is actually what the Bible says, guys, like when you actually read it. For all, for all hot rots is mine, and you shall exist to me from a kingdom of priests and a set apart nation. Uh, that is straight up like I talk about kings and priests in the thousand year reign. Like his his idea from the very beginning was that he wanted his people, Yasharil, to be king, uh, a kingdom of priests upon this earth. And we see that um, like that that's authority, guys. It's giving you authority. You know, people, people don't, people to this day, they come into the tour and they're in this and this, and so they, they don't get it. They, 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 when Yahushua HaMashiach says, go out and baptize people, they think he's talking about pastors. No, he's not talking about pastors. He's not talking about elders or whatever. He's talking about you. If you are a, if you are a follower of Mashiach, if you are a kingdom, you're in this kingdom of priests. You have the authority to go out and baptize. I, I will, I'll say this too. You have the authority to go out there and marry people. You don't need to be endowed by the state of such and such with a license to, you know, be an intercessor for the government and marry people. No, you know, just marry people, you know, uh, baptize people, you know, train people, bring them up. You have that authority. You are given that authority, but you have to obey his commands, right? And you shall exist to me from a kingdom of priests and a set-apart nation. You shall speak the words of this purpose plan unto the sons of Yasharel. And Meshaha, uh, well, let's see. Let me, before I go on here, let me see. She says, uh, I dig into etymology. And uh, there are a lot of creatures mentioned in Hebrew scripture that are mythical. All right. Um, are they, though, Pamela? Are they mythical? 
And in Leviticus, it actually mentions statues wood, uh, statues wood demons. Interesting. All right. Are they mythical, though? I'm telling you, uh, 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 I've done the studies on the griffin. I, I get—I don't know if I ever gave an exact uh, definition of, uh, or an exact presentation on the griffin itself. But uh, a lot of the ancient historians talked about them being real. They said they—they they lived primarily in India and the East. Uh, they talked about griffin eggs, how they were a thing. And modern historians would go, oh, they just mistook them for ostrich eggs. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's, it, it's like, you know, it's the same thing with like mermaids, right? They, they, they were so drunk out at sea and they saw a sea cow. And they're like, oh, you know, mermaid. But no, it's like, no, oh, whatever. Don't get me started on that. Interesting enough, one of the families that came out of the, uh, the Millennial Kingdom, uh, one of the dynasties was the Griffin dynasty. The Griffins were a, uh, a royal uh, family that were actually dethroned during the Enlightenment. But they were uh, a royal family up in the Germania area. And we see like the, uh, they're, they're called the Griffin dynasty. So uh, I, I think Griffins were a thing. So I love that Pamela put this in here. And Meshaha came and called out for the bearded ones of Yasharel, and he put before their faces all the words of the purpose plan which Yahuwah, the ever-living, had set up, and all the people sang together, lifting the voice, shouting and speaking in union. And they declared all the words, the purpose plan, which Yahuwah, the ever-living, has set in order, we will work to accomplish. Hmm. It says here that all the people in unison, this will be... <laughs> This will be one of the last times in a, in a while, I think, that all the people will be in unison. This had to be a beautiful moment because they say right here, everything that Yahuwah, we have seen Yahuwah work. Like there's no other God that's mightier than this. There's nobody else out there. Like there's, we don't want to go back to Egypt. We want to follow this Elohim. He's led us out here. We will do whatever he says. And just wait in the coming weeks when he starts saying, okay, this is what I want you to do. And people are like, yeah, I know I said that a few chapters back, but I didn't mean this. When I said, I'll do whatever you say, I didn't think you would actually ask me to do this. You know, did, did y'all really say, right? All right. Uh, and Meshaha returned his Dabar unto Al-Yahuwah, and Yahuwah, the ever-living, declared unto Al-Meshaha, behold, I will come unto you in thresholds in a cloud mass passing you over and the, that the people may hear and answer in my speaking with you. And that in addition, be firm in you to time of long duration. And Meshaha in the sight of all made known to the people, the purpose plan of Ah Yahuwah. And he's telling them, all right, guys, this is what's going to happen. Uh, that Yahuwah himself is going to pass over us and he's going to speak. He's going to be speaking to me. But you all are going to hear what he's saying. So get ready. Like, Masha has heard him speak before. But I don't, I don't think up to this point that people have heard him speak. And he's telling him, like, get ready to be in the fetal position. Because this is, like, you're not, no one's going to be standing at the end of this. All right. And Yahuwah declared unto Al-Mashaha, walk unto the people. And set them apart this day and tomorrow, and have them wash their garments, and they will exist, exist upright, ready to stand for the third day. Hmm. For on the third day, Yahuwah the ever-living will descend to the eyes of all the people upon Mount Sinai, or Sayanuya, 
I almost think of like sayonara, but sayonua. And you will set boundaries for the people in a circuit roundabout for them to guard themselves against ascending in the mount or to reach out to touch the edges thereof. All who touch on the mount shall be destroyed thoroughly. None shall touch a hand on it, for he will indeed be overwhelmed with stones or through a free will action, he will be shot. Whether wild beast or man, he will not exist. All right, pause. This is what I was trying to find for you guys. I watched a video on the, you know, the very few groups have gone into Mount Sinai. I'm actually really concerned about the people going into Mount Sinai because I'm concerned that the place is going to be robbed. And I, in some ways, even though it's tragic, I almost think it's good that maybe it's like Yah's plan that he, that Saudi Arabia is putting up a fence around this very holy site. I, if anyone has ever been to Petrified Forest, I think it's in Arizona, it's a national park. You can go there and see pictures. I went back in the 90s. I can't imagine anything is still there. If you went through in the 90s, you still saw petrified stuff there. But when I was there in the 90s, they showed me pictures from the 50s and 60s, and the place was littered like a forest of petrified trees. And they were all gone because people would just come and take them. And I'm can, I am, I would be really sad. I shouldn't say I'm concerned because it's all in y'all's hands, but I would be very sad if people just irreverent people and i see that already they're going and taking stuff and they're like trying to sell it you know like oh look at this you know this charred rock on mount sinai i'm selling it and it's like dude why but we don't need to sell that in the market leave it there as a testimony don't take the only testimony we have it's one of the greatest testimonies anyways uh it was a video and it was talking about all the things that we're finding there and i talked to you about that like, they see that the actual rock where the golden calf is put there's a big petroglyph there showing the the golden calf they measured the whole camp and they showed that it would fit all israel and they would all be under the shadow of mount sinai they could look up and they could see yahuwaha up there in the cloud just incredible well one of the things that they found there was uh they started finding all these rocks that were put around the skirts of mount sinai or the, the rocks were already there but there were these petroglyphs on there and they found uh, pictures of archers and that fits the scripture verse. They were, they actually, the, the Israelites were so serious about this. They took what Moshe said and they started uh, scribbling archers on these rocks saying, if you or any animal cross this point, you take one step beyond this rock, we have full rights. We will shoot you with arrows. We will kill you on the spot. And they didn't put up a fence. They just put up a warning sign. Do not cross this rock. Like those are the kind of things I want to go there and see and behold with my own eyes and just go like, wow, like this is, this is the Bible, baby. This is, you know, this is, this is the real deal. Um, all right. When the trumpet sounds a strong note of long duration, then they shall ascend upon the mountain. What does that long, what does that trumpet sound remind you of? They've already cleansed themselves. They've washed their garments, speaking of their baptism. And now there is a long trumpet. Is it the, la the last trumpet? Indicating the resurrection. And when the trumpet blasts, then they can go up to the mountain into the presence of Yahuwah. It's such a beautiful picture being formed. And Meshachah descended from the mountain into the people, and he set apart the people, and they washed their garments. And he said unto the people, Exist ready for the third day. Do not approach your women. So again, the, the, again, the third day, we see that theme in there. Is this inciting the resurrection? The, the day when the trumpet will blast, 
they will go up, right? Indicating the resurrection. Of course, do not approach your women. So here we have an actual example of, of uh, oh man, I meant to do a whole study on this tonight. I botched this. I have so much material, but I wanted this material on what it talks about in Jubilees about not having intercourse on Sabbath. And um, I, I'm of the opinion um, that I, I, I think Jubilees is correct. I can't, I would have to look at it closer to really argue my point because I could be wrong. But I'm of the opinion that what it's saying is, is that if you are going to go to the temple, okay, you're going to the temple in Jerusalem, or in this case, uh, you're going to the uh, to actually the mountain of Yahuwah, or in the next 40 years, you're going to the tabernacle, you better be clean. Okay, you, you can't be unclean. And that includes sexual intercourse. If, you, if you're going to have sexual intercourse, don't go to the temple. Don't go to the tabernacle. You're unclean. All right. And it being unclean doesn't mean you're, you're living in sin. It just means you're unclean. There's nothing wrong with having intercourse with your woman. It just means you're unclean. It's the same thing. A woman, she bleeds. And at that time, she's unclean. Don't go to the temple. So if you're a man and your woman is in her time of the month and you touch her, even like, you know, this is why you're supposed to live on the opposite end of the house with her. Don't go to the temple. Don't go to the tabernacle. You're unclean. All right. So there's a just it's an important here to make sure like this is serious business. Does uh, I you know, the thing is, is that, you know, some women are in their time of the month on Sabbath. They can't help that. They're not living in sin. They're just, you know, not going to the tabernacle. Right. You're not going to the mountain on that day. So here's a section here. I, I, a lot of scripture passages on um, on baptism. And this really excited me, this idea that we, we just saw the baptism in the uh, the Red Sea, a, a, a death, burial, resurrection ceremony. And and now we're seeing them wash their garments. And we're seeing within the, uh, the, the Jewish scribes, the rabbis, will say that for them, baptism began with this event. This was the event where, it, now I, I believe it goes way back before that. But, you know, in their tradition, this is where they're looking at. So... We see here, we already read this in Exodus, where he says, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right. Uh, let's see. So what are we looking at here? Oh, here's a Leviticus. So we'll be looking at this in a few, a uh, couple months. But, and if any man's seed of copulation go out from him, it's talking about, of course, sexual intercourse, uh, the man, then he shall wash all his flesh in water and be unclean until the even. So he's unclean. And you, you, couldn't, you couldn't go up to the mountain. You couldn't go to the tabernacle. And every garment and every skin whereon is the seed of copulation shall be washed with water and be unclean until the even. The woman also with whom man shall lie with seed of copulation, they shall both bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the even. Now, we I don't need to read this next one. This comes from uh, uh, Leviticus as well, chapter 15. Uh, same chapter. It talks about a woman being unclean, her time of month. Um you know, she needs to bathe in water, her clothes, and so on and so forth. It says here, and whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in the water. So even if a man touches an unclean woman, then he is unclean. Basically, if you touch anyone who is unclean, it's not just man and woman transfer. It's like if a man is unclean, another man brushes up on him, he's unclean, right? It, it takes us very seriously, this idea of being clean. And um, and that's one of the things that's, of course, lost in Christianity. You know, they think, you know, everything is clean now. You can't be unclean. It's okay. So um, here we see here in the Hebrew gospel of Marcus. Wait, do I quote from this later? I'm going to skip that. Um, 
so this quote is from Josephus, and this is really interesting. Uh, this is talking about uh, where baptism started coming into first century thought, and this is Josephus, and he's talking about John the Baptist. Uh, I'm not using proper names in here. I just read the English version. Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God as a punishment of what Herod had done against John, who was called the Baptist, Yochanan the Baptizer. For Herod had killed this good man who had commanded the Yahudim to exercise virtue, righteousness towards one another, and piety towards Allah Hayam. For only thus, in Yochanan's opinion, would the baptism be administered, uh, he administered be acceptable to Allah Hayam. Name. So Yochanan is not saying that his is the only baptism that is uh, is acceptable, but he's saying the only acceptable baptism is one in which they have uh, piety uh, towards Allah Hayam. And he says, namely, if they used it to obtain not pardon for some sins, but rather the cleansing of their bodies inasmuch as it was taken for granted that their souls had already been purified by justice. So um, this is really interesting here because this is, if I'm reading this right, this is Christian theology. And Josephus is saying that the Jews, namely like the Pharisees and Sadducees, believe that their souls were already purified, Right. You hear this in Christianity all the time. I was raised like you get baptized once and that's it. You don't get baptized again. You're clean. You're good. Your soul's purified. And that's not what Yochanan the baptizer is saying here. He's saying, uh, he's like, no, you need to get right with Allah. You need to repent. You need and you need to be washed and repent. And you, you can't just claim that you're purified by some past justice in your life. Your soul's good to go. He, you can't live that way. It's not the way it works. Now many people came in crowds to him, for they were greatly moved by his words. Herod, who feared that the great influence John had over the masses might put them into power, and, and he put him to death. Okay, moving on. Uh, and so I encourage everybody that we have completely been lost with this idea of, uh, of purity laws and being clean and unclean. And just one of the one of the practical ways I would tell anybody is that when you take a bath or a shower, you are you are cleansing your body right of of stink, because nobody wants to be around you if you've gone days without showering, right? I don't need to tell this to adults. This would be a talk a pep talk we would have with a twelve or thirteen year old boy in the gym locker, like you need to take a bath, dude. Uh, but. When you're when you're showering, when you're bathing, use this as a time of repentance. Use this as a time of prayer and speak to Yahuwah and tell him that you want to be cleansed, that you want to be forgiven of your sins. This is a time to, you know, to tell him, this is where I have erred. Forgive me for this. And if and tell me where I have erred, because maybe I don't know. Humble me. Tell me where I have wronged a brother because you want more than sacrifice. You want me to go to a brother that I have erred and, you know, and, and be humbled and, and make this right. That is, that's what I would recommend to everybody, you know, because obviously we're not, you know, we're not getting baptized, you know, all the time, whatever, but just make that a regular habit as a, as a priest of the kingdom, make that a habit. Um, Let's see, what does this say here? This is, oh, Book of the Order of the Ancients. How fun. I'm going to read this. Book of the Order of the Ancients. This is uh, coming from Elijah's uh, school of uh, uh, the people who are under him in his school. 
When such a man comes forward to present himself as a candidate for admission into the order, the order of the ancients, this is the Melchizedek priesthood, he should be examined carefully by the elders of the community and having been proved worthy, he must enter into a covenant in the presence of Elohim, the holy messengers and his brethren by the order by entering into the waters of purification. So how do you enter into the order? You're baptized. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the coming minutes. That he will do according to all that Elohim has commanded and not turn away from the service of Yahuwah through fear of wicked men or devils, nor through discouragement because of the trials which Belial shall send against him. So he's saying that if you enter into a covenant with Yahuwah, you will be attacked by Belial. That's the Prince of Darkness. You will uh, have men attacking you, wicked men. You will have devils. You are going to go through worse trials. Uh, you'll definitely be more knowledgeable of them than you were before. Uh, because they do not want you to be purified. They do not want you to be clean. They do not want you in a covenant with Yahuwah. They don't, do not want you to be obedient to him. For Yahuwah, Allah Hayam, has appointed that all who seek to live after his holy order shall be tried and purified until their gold is pure and their dross consumed. Another, way he's another thing he's saying here is that pain is your teacher. And pain will continue teaching you until it is done teaching you. When you have no more need to be taught, you will not feel pain anymore, meaning it's your graduation day, you're dead, all right? It's kind of interesting that as we die, uh, we feel more and more pain, right? The older we get, we feel more pain. And it's like, it's almost like an acceleration of the course. Like, it's time to get wise, it's time to get humble. You're about to uh, meet your maker, take this serious. When a man has entered into his covenant in the waters of purification, the elders of the community are to lay hands upon his head and bless him. So. That's how you enter in through the waters. Of course, we saw this with the Red Sea crossing, and now they're washing their garments. Uh, Ezekiel says this, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new rock will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. He's talking about uh, circumcision of the heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my ruach within you. And I love this. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those great passages where people are like, I'm in the new covenant. I'm in the new Testament. And I, the, the, the law is written on my heart and I don't have to keep that law. Right. Cause it's like, it's written on their heart. So they don't have to keep it. Right. Uh, apparently their heart tells them what they can keep or not keep. And it says the point of getting this Ruach, this, this is the, the Ruach Kakadesh, right. Is what is the point of getting this new Ruach to cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and believe in them no it says and do them ezekiel 36 this is talking about the new covenant incredible stuff here we go back to uh agent josephus or um uh was it uh whatever just as one who was to be admitted to judaism must first submit to the three ceremonies so this is really interesting he's so keep in mind josephus is a pharisee and the uh there were different schools of thoughts within pharisees they were not all in agreement of course paul was a pharisee and he came to uh, i think originally he probably agreed with josephus all right so what josephus is saying is that if you want to enter salvation become a jew uh you have to first submit to these three ceremonies circumcision baptism and sacrifice so you had to be you had to take a snip you had to be baptized you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem and sacrifice. And that would be, you know, quite, I mean, I, 
as, as much of a devotion as circumcision would be, I mean, for a lot of people to be able to get up and leave their house and go all the way across the world to Jerusalem to sacrifice, because you can only sacrifice there. That might have been the biggest commitment of all. That might have been a bigger deal than actually circumcision. So Israel did not receive the Torah until they had performed these three. Baptism was imposed upon them two days before the revelation on Mount Sinai. So there you go. So Josephus is saying what we just read in Exodus, he's saying that was baptism. Really interesting. And I, I agree with him there. I think he's correct on that point. Now, on this point of uh, circumcision, this is one of the big issues that people say, see, Paul was a false apostle. I'm going to give this uh, series on Galatians. I'm serious about this. I'm going to take you guys through Galatians. I'm going to show you guys that I actually agree with Paul on this. I guess maybe that makes me a false teacher. I, I guess. I actually agree with him that circumcision is not necessary to come into uh, salvation. It is not necessary at all. And by the way, the, the Pharisees uh, who agreed to these three points, after the temple is destroyed, they dropped the sacrifice. So now they just say baptism and circumcision. I think a lot of Jews just say circumcision. And they have, I have specifically read papers by rabbis who admitted, one of them admitted the circumcision issue was decided because of Paul, out of spite for Paul. There were first century Pharisees who did not believe he needed to be circumcised. They agreed with Paul. And they're like, yeah, guys, circumcision does not mean someone is saved. Um, so one of them, by the way, was Yahushua HaMashiach. Let's see what he says here. And uh, this is, uh, you see here, Matthew 28. And uh, I put the Hebrew Matthew. But he says here, go ye therefore, this is a great commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Ruach HaKadosh. I didn't hear anything about circumcision there. Circumcising and baptizing them and making them go to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice. Yeah, I didn't read any about anything about that. Teaching them to guard all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. All right. Uh, now, teach them all. I mean, he's going to teach them the Torah, but... That's not the entry point, right? Circumcision is not the entry point. Baptism is. And of course, that should, for those of you who have not been baptized, I hope you're taking this seriously tonight, okay? They, they could not enter Mount Sinai until when the trumpet blast. The trumpet blast is a representation here, I fully believe, of the resurrection. It's graduation day. They're going to meet their maker. They're going up onto the mountain. They better be baptized. If you're not baptized, you're, you're a dead man, okay? If you're not cleansed. Those of you who have not been baptized, what's stopping you? It's like you're asking for a, you're asking for like the keys to the apartment or whatever, and you're not like you know, you're giving like I don't know, you're giving the, the girl the keys to your point, apartment, and you're not uh, being committed. Like baptism is the sign of your commitment. You know, get baptized. If there is no one around to baptize you, go down to a river and dip yourself. Just baptize yourself until. Somebody remember now it didn't say other people had it to uh to clean your garment. You go clean your garment, go baptize yourself, and then when you can have someone baptize you, that's great. But do not wait. People ask me all the time to come out and baptize them. I get a lot, that's great. I love it, but guys, I can't just drive to Michigan and New Hampshire and these places and pay for the gas and do it. I can't do that. Like it's it's just like I'm too far away. Um, anyways. Uh, Hebrew Gospel of Marcus, this is why I skipped this, and he says this again here, he who believes and is dipped, he will be saved. So it's not he who believes will be saved, he who is believed and is dipped. This is serious stuff we're reading tonight. Very, very serious stuff. We get the Ten Commandments tonight and baptism.
This comes from 1 Corinthians. So here's a Paul passage. Dun, dun, dun. Moreover, brethren, I would not say that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Hmm. We read about that last week. And were all baptized into Moshe in the cloud and in the sea. Hmm. And did all eat the same spiritual food. That's the manna we all last week. And did all, I should have actually recited this last week. This is awesome. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them. Now, that's a whole other thing right there. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 I actually think that this might be this uh, 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 Yaakov's pillow here, the, the scone of stone or the stone of scone. He actually says here, it took me a long time to get that, that there is actually a rock that followed them. So there was the rock that the splitting rock that Moshe hit at Mount Sinai, but there was actually a rock that followed them and it would actually feed them water. That was so awesome. And that rock was Mashiach. But with many of them, Elohim was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. We'll get to that. All right. Uh, oh, here's the Didache. Reading from the Didache for the second time tonight. How exciting is this? And concerning baptism, baptize this way. Having first said all these things, uh, that would be the, the previous chapter. Um, baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in living water. But if you have no living water, baptize into other water. So it's saying, yeah, find a, a, a river stream, a, you know, mountain, like a, some sort of natural flowing water. Uh, but if you have no living water, baptize into other water. And this is one of the things I've said with all the, I don't need to get into the Millennial Kingdom stuff, but you look into all the cathedrals and stuff, you look at all those octagonal baptismals all over. Like I've stated that those were not baptismals. They were putting something else in there that they repurpose purpose as baptismals because all these cathedrals and these, these star cities were built on water, on living water. Okay, They're, they're going to go down to the living water and baptize. They're not going to go sprinkle someone, you know, a little cup onto a little baby's head in these uh, octagonal shaped uh baptismals but if you have neither pour out water three times upon the head into the name of the father and son and the holy spirit but before the baptism let the baptizer fast and, and the baptize and whoever else can but you shall order the baptized to fast one or two days before so that's something to consider right there uh that to before you actually do an actual baptism the the, the big one right make sure you're fasting a couple days beforehand if you can all right, uh, writings of Abraham. Yeah, I'm going to skip this one. Um, no, I always say, okay, let's read the first couple of paragraphs. Although I gave these ordinances in the beginning into Adam, yet the sons of men have continually gone astray from my precepts and have not kept my ordinances, which I gave unto their fathers. They have ne neglected the ordinance of baptism. So, which I commanded unto them in token of the burial of the natural man and have cause to receive the anointing whereby they become kings and priests unto me. So there is a parallel to Exodus right there. And he's saying that uh, Al-Hayam, or in this case, Yahuwah, is saying that he gave the ordinance to Adam, which means it would have gone down to Seth, which means it would have gone all the way down. This was nothing new here. Uh, Moshe, we know, already was given the instructions. This is nothing new. All right, uh, let's see what else do we have here. This is the first book of Adam and Eve. And this talks about, and to the north of the garden, there is a sea of water, clear and pure to the taste. Now keep in mind, 
Um, I believe that this is talking about the garden on the earth. Uh, there's, there's a bit of a mystery here about how heaven came down to earth. I understand paradise is in the third heaven, uh, at least in the books that it talks about, like third Baruch and some of those. Uh, but here it's talking about the actual garden on the earth and that there is to the north of it a sea of water. Well, that's really interesting because in, uh, I skipped the first verse here, but it actually says that that is where the borders of heaven are. That is where the hidden wilderness is. And so to get into the hidden wilderness, the world where the real Mount Zion is, uh, there is a sea of water that you have to be baptized in. Clear and pure to the taste and like anything else, so that through the clearness thereof, uh, one may look into the depths of the earth. Now, there is a mystery to this because we also see this sea up in heaven. How does it correlate with heaven on earth? I, I can't explain that. Um, it is a true mystery. But there are other passages like the Apocalypse of Abraham where he talks about how he could see through the clearness of the water all the way down to the earth. And when a man washes himself in it, he becomes clean of the cleanness uh, thereof and white of its whiteness, even if he were dark. And Elohim created the sea of his own good pleasure, for he knew what would come of the man he would make, so that after he had left the garden on account of his transgression, men should be born in the earth. Among them are righteous ones who will die, whose soul Elohim would raise at the last day, when all of them will return to their flesh, bathe in the water of the sea, and repent of their sins. Uh, and uh, But when Elohim made Adam go out of the garden, he did not place some on the border of it northward. So again, it's telling you it's on the earth. This was so that he and Eve would not be able to go near to the sea of water where they could wash themselves in it. So according to this, the cosmology of Adam and Eve, it is saying that there is an ocean, I mean, a sea on this earth that is so clear that it is you have to be baptized in it before you can go to the land of promise, the ultimate land of promise on this earth. And then we read here in Revelation about uh, before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like in the crystal, uh, we don't need to go into all that. You see that here in Revelation. All right. Uh, I'll close on this here with Paul. This comes from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Never. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that... So <laughs> people read this and go, oh, I'm dead to sin. So it means I can sin and it's not really sin. It's... <laughs> He's actually not saying that. He's like, dude, if, if the law is, if, if transgression of the law is sin, we know that the Torah is the law, you're, you're now dead to the law of sin. So you don't have to live in it anymore. You don't have to sin anymore. You can now choose not to sin. You can actually obey the Torah. That's actually what he's saying here. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Yahushua HaMashiach were baptized into his death? So he's saying we can be like, we can live like Yahushua HaMashiach now, right? He was resurrected. We can be resurrected with him. We can die with him and be resurrected. Yahushua HaMashiach didn't come to live a perfect life to sin afterward. Does anyone actually out there actually believe that Yahushua HaMashiach is able to sin nowadays? He's out there like, like who actually believes that? That's, that's kind of like the, the cognitive dissonance here. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So there it is, baptism. That like as Mashiach was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of, a de of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
So if you are baptized and you are baptized into his death and resurrection, then according to Paul, you should not serve sin. And you would have to change the definition of what sin actually is. Like he's not doing that here. I, I It's one of those things where like, I, I don't, now that I see it, it's it's so hard to watch so many people not see the obvious of what he's actually talking about here. All right, let's get back to uh, the ex uh, Exodus. And he will exist on the third day in the daybreak. He will exist voices and lightnings and a heavy cloud upon the mount and the voice of the shofar, forceful, strong, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Meshaha brought forth the people out of the encampment to call out Ha'alahayam, and they stationed themselves on the lowest parts of the mountain. Remember, they would not pass the, the they would not get down to the skirt and get killed. And all of Mount uh, Sinai smoked from the presence because Yahweh, the ever living, descended in fire, and the smoke ascended like the smoke from a smelting forge. And the whole mountain quaked forcefully. I think up to this point, uh, I had read to you the accounts where people saw his presence. Uh, they called him the destroyer in Egypt. They obviously, you know, he was walking on the cloud, but I, I think this must be like the lowest he ever got. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I just imagine like it, it would be like if he got close to like two or three stories above you, like just right there, like the closest he ever got. It was too close for comfort. And the smoke ascended like the smoke from a smelting forge and the whole mountain quaked forcefully. And the voice of the shofar sounded of long duration and became stronger and stronger. And Meshaha spoke, setting words in order. And Ha'alahayam sang and answered in a loud voice. And Yahuwah, the ever-living, descended upon Mount Sinai unto the head of the mountain. And Yahuwah called to Meshaha to the head of the mountain. And Meshaha ascended. And Yahuwah, the ever-living, declared unto Al-Meshaha, descend. Repeatedly exhort the people to beware lest they break through unto Yahuwah to observe, and so a great many be cast down. And in addition to this, that the priests who approach Al Yahuwah set themselves apart, lest Yahuwah break forth upon them and they be destroyed. So, again, so affirmation do not go up there until the appointed time. And uh, anyone who does not set themselves apart, meaning they are, they are set apart, I, I take it here from their women. Uh, they need to remain clean, uh, do not be unclean, and if they if they are unclean, they will be destroyed. Uh, this comes from the Aramaic Targum. I thought this was a cool little passage, and Moshe, uh, same passage. And Moshe brought forth the people from the camp to meet the glorious presence of Yahuwah, and suddenly Yahuwah of the world uprooted the mountain and lifted it in the air, and it became luminous as a beacon, and they stood beneath the mountain. So according to this, uh, Mount Sinai actually lifted up above them. And uh, it's not the only time we see a mountain lifted or moved. Uh, here in Math, uh, Yahu, Gospel of Matthew, you guys know this passage. Then came the Talmudim to Yahusha apart and said, why could not we cast him out? This is talking about demons and a man. And Yahusha uh, said unto them, because of your unbelief, for amen I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, Ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence the honor place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. I actually think he was preparing them for uh, the splitting of the Mount of Olives. And I actually believe that I had a guy call me on the phone this week. 
he, very genuine guy, and he's and he he's like, man, I, I love your research on the millennial kingdom. This is really great stuff. But how do you? He said the one thing that was really pressing him was how do you explain uh, the Mount of Olives not being split down the middle? In fact, this is a big piece of evidence people use, and I I think it moved. I really do. I think it moved. Um, it, here, here we see. I, I went through this in my Eden series. We see that the uh, Mount uh, Marua or Mount uh, 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 Mu, or we know this as Eden, that it was withdrawn beyond the misty veil. Uh, it was taken away. We see that in Adam and Eve right here, uh, that Seth and his children dwelt on the mountain below the garden. They could actually look up and they could see Eden above them. So here we have an actual moving mountain. Um, so we have now uh, the Garden of Eden, which is a mobile mountain. We have Zion, which is a mobile mountain. According to the Eric Targum, Mount Sinai is a moving mountain. It can lift up like an airship. Uh, and then when we go down to this passage here in the infancy bazora of Yaakov, I've read this a lot recently in my videos. Elisheva, this would be Elizabeth, the mother of Yochanan the Baptist. Her husband has just been murdered in the temple. Miriam, uh, Mary, the Virgin Mary, has uh, she shoves baby Yahusha into a manger not to promote her humble uh, how humble her baby is to christmas carolers thousands of years later it's because dudes with swords are coming in to kill the baby and so she puts in the last place out of desperation that they, i mean what this has the best context i've ever heard for why he ended up in a manger it's the same reason for why Moshe was put in a basket and sent down a river with hippos and crocodiles. Uh, no mother would do that unless if it's out of complete desperation of don't kill my baby. I will do anything to have this baby live, even if it if it lives another two days and makes it down the river. Right. And and so she puts the baby in a manger because the dudes don't look in there. They go into they, they go into the manger. They look around. They don't see a baby. They don't kill anything. They're all suspicious about you look like you just gave birth, but they don't kill the baby. Elisheva, meanwhile, is running. She's out of she's out of strength. She doesn't think she can make it. She's being pursued with these dudes with swords. Then as El or whatever weapons they had, then as Elisheva sighed, she said with a loud voice, mountain of Elohim, take me a mother with her child. For Elisheva was too afraid to go up higher, and at once the mountain split open and received her. And there was light shining through the mountain to her. Amazing story. I love that story. So when Yehusha HaMashiach, he's talking about a mountain will open up for you, he's actually talking about stories he grew up with with his cousin, John the Baptist, who this happened to him as a baby. And I believe it happened to the disciples of the Talmudim as well, or any Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, I, I think that they saw their opportune moment. And I think that they, they're like, oh, my goodness, there it is. Boom, they ran through and they got out before, before it was too late. And Meshah has said unto Al-Yahuwah, the ever-living, the people cannot endure to come up unto the mountain. For you charged us again and again, saying, set boundaries upon the mountain and set it apart. And Yahuwah, the ever-living, declared unto him, go, walk, descend you. And you will ascend and Aaron with you, but the priest and the people are not to break through to ascend into Al-Yahuwah, -Yah lest he rush forth upon them. And Moshe knows something about this because uh, Yahuwah rushed in on him, if you recall, a few weeks ago to kill him because he didn't circumcise his son. So he's like, yeah, you're serious. Like You will rush in and you will kill all these people. And Meshach descended unto the people and declared unto them. I can just see it now. <laughs> People are like, not my God. My God would, that's not in my Bible. Well, it says it right here. Uh, 
He's such a holy, holy uh, uh, God that we serve, a holy Allah Hayyam, that, yeah, like you are, if you are not clean in his presence, you are a dead man. And Allah Hayyam set words in order, arranging all these ha-dabarayam uh, to say, I am Yahuwah, your Allah Hayyam. Remember now, there's many Allah Hayyam, but he is your Allah Hayyam which caused you to go forth from Mitraim, from the house of slavery. There shall not exist to you Alahayam Akaram, second or secondary Alahayam to my face. So now you, you we had Jethro say that there were other Alham, but now we have just seen Yahuwah say that there are secondary, there are other, I actually love how Pamela phrased that, secondary Alahayam. Uh, great job on that translation. Uh, he is recognizing that there are other archons, archons, excuse me. You shall not fashion, working by labor to yourself, a graven image or semblance of that which is in Shamayam above, treacherously, or that which is in from beneath, or that which is in water from the lower parts of the earth. And that's something, of course, the other gods do. The second Dari Alham, the they do what they're not supposed to do by having people make them into images from creatures in the heavens or in the earth or in the water below. Do not bow yourself down to them and do not serve them. For I, Anukaya Yahwaha, your Alahayam, am a jealous owl, striking against the depravity, crime, or guilt of the fathers upon the offspring into the third and fourth generation of my haters. I think about the, the short season that we're in. And, you know, what are these third and fourth generations, right? And are we the ones that are waking up again after the sins of our fathers, right? Was there such a bad rebellion against his Torah that you had to go through these generations um, before people started waking up again? And working chassad or zeal and kindness, desire and pity unto thousands of them that love me and guard my commands. Do not take up the name Yahuwah, your Allahayah, to emptiness, vanity, falsehood. For Yahuwah will not leave unpunished he who takes up his name to vanity. I don't know if you noticed, but we're, um, we've just gotten into the Ten Commandments. And my understanding is that he's actually, Yahuwah is actually speaking this so that everybody hears this, if I'm reading this right. Uh, and they're literally hearing his voice and they're like, People are freaking out, trembling, like they can't handle as he's giving them uh, the commands. Remember Atha Shabbat day, the Sabbath, to set it apart. This is one of my favorite, you know, the fourth command here. This is, I love to point out to Christians because like if, if, I'm, if I'm ever going to go to their church, um, Sunday church, I mean, I have to, I have to make sure that the pastoral staff, they agree with at least the 10 commandments. I mean, if they're not going to do anything else and they're going to eat pork and stuff and be like, can we just agree on the 10 commandments? I mean, like, of course, I mean, what church wouldn't, right? Unless if you're like some sort of LGBTQ church or something, you know, you got the rainbow flag out front, which I'm not going to go into that anyways. And I'd be like, okay, well, how about the fourth commandment? And, and they're, you know, I know that they'll say like, well, we do, we do keep that because we rest in Jesus. He's our Sabbath rest, right? It's like, well, okay, he's your Sabbath rest. Is he your food and your, your, your water, your drink too? Do you not have to eat and drink? Cause you don't apparently have to rest. That's amazing. I would love to meet a guy who doesn't have to rest. Doesn't have to eat or drink because Jesus does all that for him. 
It tells you right here what the what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. You shall not fashion any prescribed work, especially the work of the artisan. So, you know, right there, no more Krispy Kreme donuts for Sunday school, right? No more going out to, uh, you know, getting Starbucks coffee. Not going out to brunch afterwards. Not you, not your son, not your daughter, not your servant, and your female slave and your livestock and the stranger which is within your gates. So you're... Even if you say the Sunday is your Sabbath, which most Christians, pastors nowadays, they, they don't seem to argue that point. They kind of, they've they've given in and go, yeah, we agree. It's not, I, I rarely speak to anyone of authority within the church anymore who actually uh, disagrees with me. They're like, yeah, I get it. That's the Sabbath. We're not keeping it, but we don't have to, right? For in six time periods, Yahuwah fashioned the Hashanayim and the, the earth, the sea, and all that which is in them. And in the seventh Yahweh, he established rest. On this account, upright, honest, Yahuwah did Barak as a powerful sign, uh, the Ha-Shabbat, Yahweh, and set it apart. And it seems pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not just that we rest on the Sabbath day. I mean, it's on the Sabbath day, your, your, your oxen isn't working, your dog's not working, your daughter, your son's not working, your wife's not working, nobody's working, you're all resting. Um, but let's not overlook the fact that six days we work, right? And I, I really value hard work. Um, if somebody is not going to work, um, I, I think if someone, if someone, if someone works, it's their work through pay. Okay. Someone should get paid for work. And I started out this video tonight talking about that. I, I said, this is my job interview. I'm asking that, you know, I get paid for my work. Uh, I have had people enter this ministry who, for years, whenever ministry money was coming in, I was distributing that. I was giving that to, you know, uh, someone has car trouble, got 800 bucks, here you go. You know, let's fix that car. Let's, you know, you need rent, boom, here you go. I've had people enter the ministry, though, and they want food. And it's sad. There was situations where people were living in their car with no food, with children and babies. And I would have these conversations like, look, I have this money. I can get you, I can get you into an apartment. I have enough money, I can get you into an apartment. But that's a short-term fix. You need to get a job. I need to see action from you that you're going to get a job. And weeks and weeks and weeks would go by. They wouldn't lift a finger, they wouldn't do it, they would be demand, they would be entitled. And these are Torah-keeping people, so they say, and they refuse to work. Six days are going by, six days not working, not working, just going around to different ministries, smoking money. I have no, I mean, it, it was so sad. I was with my whole admin team. We're discussing this. You know, we can't, we, we can't give money to people. You know, this guy who's not going it, to. It's a, it's a shame. It's sad. Um, I would have, I would have poured my wallet into this guy uh, if he would have just been like, got a job as a door greeter at Walmart, or just gone and got a waitering job. Anything, just anything. Even if it's not a, a carpentry trade. Just anything. Go out there and feed your family. You know. All right. Now. One of the big discussions that comes up a lot around these parts is the lunar Sabbath. The lunar Sabbath, the lunar solar Sabbath may very well be the right Sabbath. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not, guys. I humbly am saying, I am not saying it's not. I don't think it is, but maybe Yah hasn't given me wisdom in that. Now, I want to, one of the big things that um, they will point out is that they're saying that how do you know if we're, if we're to count consistently seven, 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 seven? which I think that's, you know, the, the seven is in the root word of Sabbath. 
I think that's what it is. And th they have a good point. They'll be like, well, how do you know? How do you know that the Sabbath, we're still on the right day? Now, keep in mind, I don't think most of the, even if the, the lunar Sabbath is correct, most of them are crescent moon people. And I think that's wrong. So right there, they are keeping every Sabbath wrong because I am now the of the, I am now convinced. If I went the lunar Sabbath, guys, I would be a full moon. I would say the full moon is the start of the month. And that's when I would keep it. Um, but anyways, you can see here, now Rob Skiba back in the day, before Rob Skiba died, he once gave a presentation. He was talking about how, how all the languages all over the earth, all the major languages, they all have, <clears throat> excuse me, Shabbat on the seventh day, on the same day. And I used to listen to that and go, you know, one of the, it, it's a big misdirection when the Lunar Sabbath crowd, they say, oh yeah, who, who you, you know, you're worshiping, um, you know, Saturn, right? Because it's Saturday. It was just like the biggest misdirection. It's like, that's just an English thing. English is a, it's a modern, like post mud flood, short season language. You look at the language of the middle of even the, the, the dark ages, the medieval period, millennial kingdom, not even recognizable, completely different. Anyways, I digress. I remember Rob Skiba talked about all these different um, languages all over the world that have Shabbat. And, and he explained, he said that, and y'all bless Rob Skiba. I'm not, I'm not dissing the guy at all. It never made sense to me because his explanation was that uh, when it was the best he could come up with, I, I don't blame the guy. He said that when Israel was kicked out of the land, they went to all these other places. If I'm quoting him right, I could be misquoting him, uh, that they went and they, they, established the sabbath day and i'm just thinking no no they were kicked out of the land they were divorced from the land for not keeping the sabbath and furthermore yahuwah said he would hide his sabbath from him so how in the world then are the is israel apostate israel being kicked out of the land and they're going all over the world and convincing the governments of the world to change the shabbat into their very language well i present to you all these here and showing that this is uh the Good, very, very good evidence for the millennial kingdom that it already happened and that all over the world, the different nationalities, the different people were all observing the Shabbat. That is, as far as I'm concerned, the best explanation that anyone has ever stated on this. I could be wrong, but you know, when you look back at history or his story, we are not told about the holy days. We're not told about the Sabbath. We're told that they were keeping Sunday. Well, that's really weird because how in the world do the Romanians, the Russians, the Serbians, the Slovakians, the Somalians, the Spanish, the Sudanese, the Ukrainians, the Indonesians, the Hebrews, the Greeks, the Georgians, you know, Croatians, you know, Bosnians, Portuguese, the Bulgarians, the Latins, how in the world is it that they all observe the Sabbath on the same day? And they're not keeping it apparently, but they thought the name and day after it. So that. It's not in our history books or anything. There is no explanation that I have ever seen in any history book for why this is. I think this is residue, and I think this is Yahushua HaMashiach saying, this is the Sabbath day. I if I have reset it for you. This is the day. This is the day you're to keep. And I think we can go into confidence with that. All right. Increase. We're still on the Ten Commandments. I think we're on the Fifth Commandment now. Increase with honors your father and your mother. Your father and your mother which the intents that your days may be extended upon the earth, which Yahuwah, your Allahiah, gives to you. Now, uh, we have here th that I put here that there are 1,000 1, and not 1,050 1, New Testament laws. So 
when the Christians are like, I don't have to keep the 613 anymore. Well, you actually got 1,050, just so you know. But what's funny about the 1,050, they're just extension, extensions of the 613 uh, in the Torah, which is summarized in the 10, which we're going over right now, which, of course, rests on the two. So the 10 are explained by the two. Love, Allah Hayam, love your neighbor. We just got through the first five. Uh, now, um, I want to show you this real quick. This is the coolest little thing ever. And this was incredibly helpful to me. Unfortunately, my picture is blocking some of this. Uh, so we have here, for anyone in the live chat, uh, you guys, I want you guys to pick what we're going to look at. We're going to do a little interactive uh, experiment here. And you can see here in the middle, this is, it says God's holy law or Allahion's holy law. And it's divided. This is the Ten Commandments. It's divided by the, the five and the five. On one hand, we have love Allahion, and the other, we have love others. All right. So under love others, we have property, boundaries, sexual purity, justice, and government. Under love Allahayam, we have authority, be holy, no idolatry, monotheism, sacred times. Anybody out there in YouTube land watching this live, uh, wanna, what, what category do you want to look at? Just someone, the first person that names something. We could do love others or love Allahayam. Somebody type it. Don't leave me hanging. Somebody. Well, uh, while you guys decide, I'll keep talking. This was... Um, Okay, government. Thank you. All right. So we're going to look at government. So uh, this comes under love others. You come here. This is the 613.info, just so you guys know. Um, so let's click on the government. And what? What just happened? Okay. So here we have, uh, and they're all numbered too, uh, these different laws. So <clears throat> what the 613 does is, is that if, if you claim to keep the Ten Commandments, all right, you keep the five, you keep the five, which are two and two. You have 613 that tells you how to love others, how to love Allah, right? So let's just click on a random one here. We're under government, and we see number 594. It says, the king must not have too many horses. Hmm. Okay. I think I could keep that, Torah. I don't think that that's too burdensome. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a king, so it obviously doesn't apply to me. Uh, unless if you can say I'm a king and priest of the, of the kingdom. So I'm going to make sure I don't have too many horses. All right, let's try another one here. Wow, that's, that wasn't too burdensome. Um, do not offer peace to Ammon and Moab while besieging them. Okay, so just, just as a note out of the 613, if I ever besiege Moab, <laughs> I'm not going to offer them peace while I'm besieging them. I'm going to make sure to keep that. That's not too complicated. All right, that's two out of the 613. All right. All right, here, let's try another one. Uh, 591, appoint a king from Israel of Yashorel. Okay. Well, I've already appointed a king. My king is Yehusha HaMashiach. I think we can all agree that we hopefully honor that. Even Christians would, if they honor Yehusha as their king, the king from Yashorel, then they are they're keeping this Torah law. All right, let's try one more. Uh, law 605, prepare a latrines outside the camps. Oh, that's so awesome because... <laughs> <laughs> we, I talked about that last week with the with the with the manna, and how when the manna came down, that if you did not sin according to the the scripture I, I sent you, that you didn't poop, dissolved within the body, so you didn't have to worry about that. And the camp was huge, and so uh, I, I didn't prepare this, guys. I just picked this randomly. This is awesome. So you know, the camp was about twelve miles wide, so you could have anywhere from a half a mile or a mile or a six mile walk uh depending on where you are in the camp that you had to carry your poop out 
there or go all that way to poop. So the only reason you would do that, because this has been a big theological issue for a lot of people, is, uh, you know, you, if you sinned, right? So don't sin and uh, you won't poop. Not a problem. All right. I think the point was made on that. I could look at that all day. Uh, that, that, that The 613 is an incredible source uh, for people who are coming into the Torah and it's like too anthropological for them. They don't get it. It's just fun to play around with that. Go, wow, this is so practical. This is, it actually makes sense. And I want to get something like this for Tuck, for the unexpected cosmology. It's on my, it's on my list of things to do. I'm running out of time. Let's keep going. Uh, so here in this passage here in uh, Bezora, Matthew, uh, we see that Yahusha is saying, when he's asked about what's the greatest command, Yahusha says to them, you must love your Elohim with all your heart. That's the first. And with all your nefesh and all of all your understanding, this is the first and very greatest commandment. Those are the first five. And the second is this. You must love your, your, your fellow as yourself. That's the second five, right? And then he says, all the Torah and the prophets are hung on these two commandments. We just saw that with the 613. All the law, all the 613 are all, and the prophets, everything the prophets said, all are based on these two. All right, we just saw that. Um, now, this here is, I, I mentioned within the um, the fifth commandment, the commandment of love your father and your mother. It's really interesting because, as you know, the first five is Allah Hayam. So if, if the first five are about Allah Hayam and not your neighbor, then why would they mention your father and your mother? Well, it says right here, wisdom um, shall praise herself. This is, of course, the Ruach HaKadosh speaking. Um, and the reason, what's really interesting here in verse 3, this let me just state here, this comes from Sirach or Ecclesiasticus chapter 24. I have to move on because we're running out of time. It, it, she talks about, she rehearses the whole creation scene in Genesis 1. And she says she was the one that was going about over the surface of the deep. When you read about the, the spirit of Allah Hayam in Genesis 1, she's saying, that was me, me, a woman, wisdom, all right? She's identifying herself as the Holy Spirit. And she says here that uh, that her dwelling is uh, Yaakov and her inheritance is Yasharel. So in order to, have, to be uh, inherited by the Ruach HaKadosh wisdom, you have to be grafted into to Israel. Important note. And it says that he created me from, from the beginning of the world. All right. One more thing here. She talks about, you know, fruits and we know the fruit of the spirit. But she says here, I am the mother of fair love and fear and knowledge and holy hope. I therefore being eternal am given to all my children which are named of him. Isn't that exciting? So the, the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit has children. Those children are Israel. Just like Yahuwah inherited Israel, she, those are her children and that she is the mother. Um, I find that really fascinating and exciting. And it's in the Ten Commandments. Because remember, father and mother are the first five. You guys got that. All right. Reading on. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lifting up the voice and lying testimony against your companion. Do not, do not desire your companion's covenant woman or his servants or his ox or his ass, all of which belong to your friend. And uh, so this comes from 1 John 2, 1 through 6. Um, why did I put this in here? Let's see. I had a reason. Oh, okay. Uh, I love First John to death. I've never done a study on it, I don't think, but it's just, it might be my favorite book in the New Testament. It just, it's incredible. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. 
And if any man sin, now how is he going to define sin? And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yahushua HaMashiach, the righteous, and he is the uh, propitiation for our sins. He's our high priest. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him. Remember, he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You're workers of lawlessness. And he says, hereby we do know, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I, I know why I put this in here is because Yahuwah has said that, you know, if you keep his commandments, you will be a priest in his kingdom, right? He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Ouch. And I... I, you know, this is like the heart of my ministry right here, trying to get people to understand this. I, I, I don't want to be a Torah terrorist. I don't want to go around and beat people on the head, but I don't know. It's amazing how offensive the Bible truly is to Christians, not just to non-Christians, to Christians. The Bible is insanely offensive because it straight up says here that if you do not keep his commands and you claim to know him, because everyone, all the Christians are like, well, it, 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 it's a relationship. He knows my heart. He, you know, I don't need to keep that. And it's like, then you're a liar. The straight up says, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. First John 2, 1 through 6. And we see here again in um, in First John chapter 3, the next chapter. Well, first of all, if you ever heard the song back from the uh, 70s, uh, from the Jesus Freak movement, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Great song. But here he goes on, he says, Who, uh, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law or the Torah, for sin is the transgression of the Torah. Somebody out there needed to hear this tonight. Uh, he Straight up, he defines sin for you. And I ask people all the time. I'm like, okay, first of all, because we need to define our, you know, define our words. So you guys don't think you need to keep the Torah. Well, what is sin? And they'll be, they'll, they'll be like, well... Sin is a disobedience against God. I'm like, okay, well, how do you know what disobedience is? And like, can you show me in Scripture where it defines what sin is? And they always they always look at me like they never thought about that before. They're like, does the Bible actually tell us what sin is? Like, does it define it? Well, it defines it right here, right? Sin is transgressing the Torah, all right? And um, Romans 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Did I read from this earlier tonight? I definitely read from Romans 6. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto Allah Hayam as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto Allah Hayam. And it just people twist this and twist this and say that, oh, they're the Torah was death. But now you're alive. So it's like, no, that, that makes no sense. You lose all meaning in here when he's saying, now that you are alive, you died with Christ. So now that you are alive, don't sin. We just saw the definition of sin. The, sin, the definition of sin is a transgression against the Torah. You can choose not to sin. You can choose to, you know, <laughs> just... I just want to like like in front of you guys right here like beat my head on this table like over and over again you guys would probably enjoy that uh just the conversations i have with people and i know you guys do too where they just they just they twist the words and they twist them and twist them to give them permission to not have to be obedient but yield yourselves into al hayam as those that are alive from the dead and your and your members as instruments of righteousness into al hayam for sin shall not have dominion over you. And it won't. 
as as Yokanan said, if you are not a liar and the truth is within you, then it won't have dominion over you because you truly know Allah Hayyan. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now that's where they're going to get it right there. Man, I, I need to get up my Romans notes again, chapter six. What then? But th the thing is with Paul is whenever people throw like a scripture verse at you, you, the key you all need to say is keep reading, keep reading. Like when someone says, oh, I believe in John 3, 16. And they're like, okay, well, I do too. How about do you believe in John 3, 17 through 21? And they're like, what? I'm like, well, I believe in John John 3, 16, but also 17 through 21. Let's read what that says, right? Well, let's read this. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Allaham forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Did you just get that? If you're a servant of Allah Hayyam, then you will obey as he obeys. Hmm. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Romans 6. All right. And here we see the didache. I couldn't get enough didache. Three quotes in one week. Do not in any way forsake the commandments of Yahweh, but keep what you have received, neither adding thereto nor taking away therefrom. So don't add to the Torah 613. Don't make it 614. Don't take away. Um, yeah. So taking away is just as bad as adding to. In the church, you shall acknowledge your transgressions. That would be a transgression of sin, right? Transgression of the law. And you shall not come near for your prayer with an evil conscience. This is the way of life. There it is. This is where, where Mando gets it from. This is the way. The Torah. The Torah is the way. And all the people regarded the voices and the flames and the voice of Hashafar and the mountain smoking. And when they observed, the people staggered and stood afar off. They staggered. I mean, it was, it was too much. And they spoke unto Al-Mashaha, you set the words in order with us and we'll hear and obey. Only let not Al-Hayam set words against us lest we perish. So they're saying after this event. So I, I'm what I'm reading here is that the Ten Commandments were just read and they all heard it. Everyone there all heard it. And the, after this, they're just like, Mashaha, like Moshe, like, you deal with him. We're, we're good. Just you go up there, you deal with it. We, we can't handle this anymore. Uh, okay, so I'm out of time. So let's see what this says here. Oh, it's a long passage. Don't have time for that. It's probably awesome, though. Um, what is this? Oh, okay. So this is the... Um, Oh, this is the Aramaic Targum. So I want to point this out real quick uh, through what's interesting when it says adultery, right? Don't commit adultery. It says, according to the Aramaic Targum, for through the guilt of adultery, death comes upon the world. We say what? <laughs> death came on the world, I thought, for sin. Well, according to this, what was the first sin, the first transgression? Adultery. Hmm. Kind of interesting. All right. Don't need to tread those old trails. Uh, okay, so we have here, um, <laughs> this is really awesome, about uh, about lack of worship uh, causes drought and on the earth. Uh, we have the water cycle here. And then, oh, I, I was going to talk about, we're right at the ending. I need to end this. Um, I was going to talk about, I was going to talk about third Baruch and bank off the Aramaic Targum. And they say, you know, because of idolatry and theft, you know, we have, 
uh, droughts on the world and famine. And it's kind of interesting that here in um, that what happens is the angels go out to collect our worship, and when they don't find it, they you know we have these conditions. I talk, I show the chemtrails here because I am of the opinion we there are many different uh, um, ideas and what the you know theories on what the chemtrails are doing, and some very very good ones, and I don't disagree with them. But I am of the opinion that this geoengineering is actually an attempt to circumnavigate Yahweh. And so when you read in uh, Jasher, leading up to the first flood that destroyed the third of the earth before the Noah's flood, it says that there was a great famine in the earth, all over the earth. And the reason why is because people were into idolatry. And so this great famine came on the earth. And I can't help but, I can't help but uh, think that Mankind is trying to circumnavigate. They're trying to create their own rain, their own storms, their own hurricanes. We talked about all this, right? They have all these, you know, they're able to weather manipulate. And it's because otherwise, you know, they would have drought and they would have to deal with this. Uh, so they're always trying to uh, turn it in their favor. Okay, let's finish this up tonight. And Mishaha declared to the people, do not be terrified for Ha Alahayam has come passing over for the purpose and intent to test you. And in passing over. For the purpose that he that his uh, reverential fear will exist over your faces so long as you do not miss the mark. And the people stood from a distance, and Mishaha approached Al Ha um, Irafel, the watcher who drops down thick clouds of darkness, which surrounded Sham Ha Alahayam. What did we just read? Uh, <laughs> uh, there's time, uh, Pamela. Tell us about uh, what we just read with the watcher. That's um, there were so many things I wanted to ask you as I'm studying today. And Yahweh, the ever living, declared unto Al Mashaha, In this manner you will speak unto the sons of Yashrael, you even you have observed how from Shamayim I have set words in order with you. You shall not fashion near me Allahayah silver, and you shall not fashion to you Allahayah gold. Um, all right, so with that, we're going to close tonight. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that, and it's painful for me to have to just just charge through some of this, though it's impossible in two hours. Um, and uh, but I love this, and I thank you everyone for making this a tradition in your own home, in your own life, on your Sabbath day, or maybe even Sunday or later in the week, whenever you do it, whether it's Friday nights, uh, Sabbath, Sunday, so on and so forth. And we'll do this again next week. And if you come back in a few minutes, I'm going to take a few minutes break. And I'm going to be going over my second presentation in the late show tonight. I think you guys are going to really dig this. It's going to be on chess. Uh, chess in the Millennial Kingdom. And we're talking about esoteric stuff. And uh, love you guys. Good night, everybody. See you later. <laughs>